you know, one of the things that I, that I love uh, about that song is the amount of times that it repeats those lines. It is well with my soul. And if I were to sing that just once, like, I, I go, man, that's, that's true, I believe that. But the fact that you repeat it so much in that song, is there's this constant reminder over and over and over and over. And that's, sometimes that's what it takes, isn't it? Just this constant reminder that and then in the midst of life and whatever is going on, um, that, that our eyes, because our eyes are on Jesus and because of who he is and what he accomplished, it is well with my soul, with our soul. At least it can be. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking uh, in, our, in our text this morning about some of the things that, that, if we're honest, might actually indicate otherwise, that things are not always well with my soul. Because uh, this morning, we're going to talk about something that's, that's, that's tricky and challenging. Uh, is it about anxiety, about anxiousness, okay? So before we get there, though, um, I don't know if you guys know anything about my story um, at all, but, um, and, and I'm just going to just be really brief in this, um, but just to share a few details, you know, for many, many years in my life, I thought that, that my life was actually a mistake, because I was, I was born um, in, in western rural Nebraska, and uh, that's not why I thought my life was a mistake. Um, just to be clear, um, I was the result of one guy and one gal uh, at the bar uh, who had too much to drink, uh, not married, and uh, nine months later, you know, Seth comes into uh, the world. And, uh, you know, as the story goes, uh, he already had a family, and so he didn't want to jeopardize that. And so she placed me up for adoption. And so by God's grace, though, in the midst of that, well, she, she actually requested that I be adopted by a Christian family for whatever reason. Um, but, and then by God's grace, I was adopted into this family um, that I just absolutely love. My dad was a youth pastor in the free church for many, 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 many years. And so really I was surrounded, even though I had all of this, this turmoil in my life as I was wrestling with who God is and what his plans were for me and did he mis- make a mistake and all of that, I still got to hear the gospel. And the gospel, right, we know is that, that I have this, this grossness inside of me, this sin that, that constantly comes out, but, but it's permanently inside of me, and there's nothing that I can do to fix that. So at a very young age, I heard that good news, uh, and, and I gave my life to Christ. I think I was around the age of five, and so this is one of those things where, I mean, if you have a story that's similar to mine, can I encourage you um, to, to, like, embrace your story, okay? Don't give up on your story because what makes your story powerful uh, is the same that makes any person's story powerful, right? It doesn't matter all of the, the different things that, that maybe like certain people have been in, like saved from. Like that's incredible the way that God works. But for each and every single one of us, our story begins with us being eternally separated from our creator, right? And that's where we start. And so there's this transferring from darkness into light that has to happen, and that's where all of our stories are. So they're all equally powerful, and so I encourage you to embrace your story. Uh, But for me, I came to know Christ when I was five, but then you fast forward 15 years, uh, really till I I was a sophomore in college, and I remember I was sitting uh, on the second floor of the University of Nebraska Rec Center uh, with a guy named John and a guy named Ben, and John was my, the guy who's discipling me, and and Ben was a friend of mine that we were doing this together with, and uh, and we were studying through Ephesians, and I just remember we started talking about spiritual adoption. Which, and for me, that was huge because I had all of these issues, anxieties that filled my life around my own adoption. 
And so as we started walking through that passage, and as I began to see God's heart for what spiritual adoption really is, like the light shifted in the room, right? Now, I have maybe, maybe I just embellished that, you know, but I remember seeing, like being in this space, and it was like the, the sun came in at a different angle, and I was blinded, and like I had this aha moment, and everything in my life changed, in that space. And I felt all of the anxiety and all of the stress and, and everything that was connected to my story of adoption and, and really subsequently all of the sin that I was involved in at the time because I just didn't know how to handle what was going on in my life. And it was all of that anxiety, just I, my, my shoulders just literally just relaxed. And it was as if God said in this moment to me, very almost audibly inside of me, said, the reason why I took you out of a family was to guarantee you in my family. Stories are incredibly, incredibly powerful. And, and you go, why do, why, do, why, do you, why do you start with that? Because here's the deal. I think that becoming a Christian is easy. Now, that's not to say that's not costly. It was incredibly costly for Jesus, but becoming a Christian is relatively easy on our part because we know what happened on the cross, and we look at that, and I know that I have this stuff inside of me, and so I can get forgiveness of sins and gain eternal life simply by faith in Jesus Christ. That's an incredible thing, and it's incredibly costly to Jesus, but it's relatively easy on my part. We know that. Being a Christian or coming a Christian is relatively easy. But that you and I, we both know that as soon as we open up the pages of the gospel and as we start to look at who Jesus is and how he was training his followers, you and I know that simply put, following Jesus or, or being, living the life of a Christian is extremely difficult. It's very, very hard, right? It's incredibly, incredibly challenging. And we've talked about a ton of different things, right, over these past weeks. And it's as if we're relearning how to ride the bike. And so some of us, myself included, have been following Jesus for however many years, and yet we're still relearning how to ride the bike. And it's still challenging, and it's still difficult. And one of the things that, that is most challenging for us, I mean, we've talked about so many deep heart issues over these last weeks. And yet this one that we're going to talk about today, this anxiety, perhaps is more difficult than any of the others. And I want to read the passage for us this morning, just in its entirety, and then we'll jump into it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 to 34. Here's what it says. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither to toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, why, why is this passage, we're, and we're going to jump into it in a second, but why do we say this passage is potentially one of the most difficult or hardest things for us as Christians? And, and here's what I'm going to say. I think it's hard for us to separate our faith from our culture. It's hard for us to, to separate being a Christian from being an American, and I just, I think that's a really hard thing for us to do. And, and we, we dream about the American dream. We all, we read about it, we know about it, we've been hearing about it forever. But it might be to say, and maybe you agree with this or not, but I think that it could be said to dream the American dream is to dream of stress. It's to dream of anxiety because that's, that's what plagues the culture that we live in over and over and over. I did some Googling uh, this week. Um, and, uh, and just looking at some of the different common sources of stress, right? We, we all can resonate with something in this. Number one, uh, jobs, right? Like we have coworkers, we have bosses, uh, we have workloads and all of the dynamics that fits into that. If you're a high school uh, student and you're thinking about college, like, like prepping and doing the ACT, doing the SAT, doing all of the applications and trying to get into the right place, like, like jobs or that, that element of our future is, is really uncertain and it's hard. And it's stressful. Maybe it's money, right? Uh, will I be able to pay my bills this week? Uh, will Social Security exist when I need it? What about my 401k, right? Which, by the way, all of those things are luxuries for us. And yet there's lots and lots of stress. Maybe it's health, lack of physical exercise. Uh, or maybe it's uh, family genetics. Uh, or maybe it's chronic disease or, or illness or some, something along those lines. There's lots of stress. Uh, maybe it's just relationships. Uh, maybe there's divorce um, or death of a loved one or uh, just the friendships that I have or the arguments that I've had with somebody. Or maybe it's the loneliness that I feel. There is stress and anxiety in these things. Maybe it's poor nutrition. Maybe you just go, man, I'm just not eating very well right now, right? COVID has, has done that for me. Like, I just, I just feel like I'm not eating well. Like, I'm drinking too much coffee, uh, caffeine, right? I'm eating more refined sugars, right? Thanks, Halloween. Like, Nikki was like, hey, where did all the Reese's go? And I said, Nikki, I promise, I just ate one a day. And they're gone, you know? And she's like, well, I saved me one. Right? Maybe we're just eating poor. Maybe it's media overload. We live in the world of Netflix, uh, Prime, Hulu, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, right? All of these things. That's crazy about Netflix. They're producing so many new shows right now that you could binge through an entire show and be like, oh, man, there's nothing. Oh, there's a new one. Right? Maybe it's media overload that we're in. Or maybe it's just texts or, or emails or, or all of the, the normal technology that we live in, or maybe it's just sleep deprivation. Maybe we're just not getting enough sleep, right? All these things, like we can relate to something in that, like all of us. Uh, this last week, I don't know, I had this weird thing, and I don't know if I've ever had it before, but my eyes, both of my eyelids, would just randomly twitch. <laughs> it was this weird thing for me. I don't know if maybe, maybe you had this, but my eyelids would twitch, and every once in a while, it would like twitch like and get stuck halfway. <laughs> 
and then I'd have to, like, in the middle of conversation, talk to people, excuse me, like, just put my eyelid up, you know? It was super weird. And so I was talking to people about it, and, uh, and I got a text late one night from Aaron Fuller, who's, who's on our staff here, and, uh, and he, said, he, goes, he says this, he goes, hey, I did a little digging, and I found out that you might be drinking too much coffee caffeine, it might be that you're low on potassium or stressed. And he goes, probably all of the above. I hope this helps. <laughs> I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> Super helpful. It's not just one problem. It's three problems. I got, I got all sorts of problems. I got all sorts of stresses and all sorts of anxieties. And yet we know that's true for all of us. It's really never just one thing. It's always a combination of things that just cumulatively add up. We live in an uncertain world. We live in COVID world. Uh, we had the election you know, speech last night. There is so much uncertainty. Did you know that the number one cause of stress in 2017, the number one cause of stress for Americans was uncertainty about the future? Specifically, our nation. There's so much uncertainty there about our future because for us to be human is to not know. We don't know what, what comes next. Like there's this, this fear of the unknown and more specifically about the, whatever is yet to be revealed, will that fit with the world that I want to be in? Have you ever read a book or been reading a book that you really get into. Some of you are like, man, I hate reading. Just give me an audio book. Maybe you're like, whatever it is, you're reading a book, and you go from page to page. You get like a real page turner, and yet you don't know. You never know what's coming on the next page, right? And, and as you read, you begin to formulate ideas and thoughts and hopes and dreams about how this book is going to unfold, but that book doesn't always unfold the way that we want it to. And that's the same way it is with life. That we, that we read life one page at a time. And so this fear of the unknown, though, causes so much stress and anxiety in us because of the culture that we live in. And it's hard for us to separate the two. And I think that this is true. And I read this this week, and it was helpful for me. When we think like the world, and when we crave like the world, we will worry like the world. So then I have to ask myself the question, like, Am I thinking like the world? And is my worry a byproduct of that? If you remember this last week, uh, Ken talked about um, the idea of not storing up your treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. You guys remember that, right? I think that's both literal and metaphorical because what Jesus is doing is he's cautioning us uh, about pursuing anything in this life more than his kingdom, right? And so I think that there's this truth, and here's this big idea for us, is that we can put our trust in the things that rust, or we can trust our creator. That's the choice. Rust or trust. And it's interesting how one letter makes a huge difference in that word. So let's jump into our text, right? These first uh, words, or first, uh, first words of verse 25. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, okay? Now I want to stop there for a second because I want, I want to be really clear that what Jesus is talking about here uh, was not like diagnosed anxiety issues, which by the way... Um, Roughly one out of five, like roughly 20% of Americans are diagnosed with some form of anxiety, which, which is pretty significant, right? Like one out of five, that's pretty significant. 
And for the rest of us, we all know that, that even if I don't have that, but I, we all of us struggle with the, the normal everyday stresses of life, which is what Jesus is talking about here. Do not be anxious about your life, right? And so, but Jesus knows that this is a continual battle for us. This, the command here, this, this imperative, is in the present continuous, which, which basically just means like over and over and over and over and over, you're going to have to fight this battle of being anxious, right? This over and over thing against the onslaught of all of the things that every single day will bring to your doorstep over and over do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. It's not like Jesus says it once and you're like, okay, I get it. I'll never be anxious ever again. Right? Problem solved. No, it's just this battle, this over and over and over thing. Now, I think that in our culture, for me, I've kind of identified three things for me, and maybe these are true for you, but here's what I felt like culture told me um, over, over the, 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 my adolescent years and my growth as a young adult, is that there are three things that I need in this life, right? Like, the culture is teaching me who I need to be, what I need to achieve, and what I need to own. Who I need to be, what I need to achieve, and what I need to own. And for me, I bought into that story big time, especially as an adopted kid who I just did not understand where I really fit in the world. And there's so much anxiety in my life that I became this perfectionist over and over and over. In every scenario, I wanted to be perfect. And I remember, oh gosh, this is super embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you, I, from, from like sixth grade through my sophomore year of college, <laughs> this is embarrassing, like seven-year period of time, every single year before school started, for the, the week before, I just bawled my eyes out. That's all I did. And it was uncontrollable for me. And, and I would go talk to people, I would visit people, and I would just, I remember going and visiting somebody uh, in, in somewhere in Illinois, and I was there for the weekend, and all I could do was just sit in her basement and cry. That's all I could do. Because I was convinced that I needed to live up to the, what the world said you need to be, what you need to achieve, and what you need to own. And there was so much uncertainty in the midst of that that I just was lost and I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And I was just anxious all of the time. And then, you know, like I'd do school and like a weekend or two days in, everything would be fine. And, 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 and by the grace of God, over time, God healed me of that. But it was very, very prevalent in my life and in our text what we know about Jesus is that Jesus calls us to something different. Gosh, Jesus' heart breaks when we are experiencing that level of stress and that level of anxiety and that level of worry. And he calls us into a different life. And so Jesus says, do not worry or do not be anxious about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. And then he asks this really powerful question. And it's as if I could put my name in the front of this. And maybe you could too. Seth, is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? I begin to go, man, I, I, there's a perspective change that needs to happen here for me. Do not be anxious. But then Jesus shifts and he goes into this reason why we don't need to be anxious. Okay, check out verse 26. Okay, that's what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. And you're like, 
Jesus, your, your answer, your solution to this problem of anxiety is to sit and look at birds? That, that's what you want me to do? You, you want me to just, to, just, to, just to watch them, to look at them? Now, the word here, to look, means more than just this simple looking. It, it means like this, this intentional look. It's like Jesus says to Seth, hey, Seth, I want you to look at the birds, but don't just look at them. Would you give it that extra little attention? Would you give it that extra little moment, and would you, would you take in what's going on and what's happening in the life of this bird? Which, by the way, I think is hard for us to do today because we live in a world that is full of busyness and sounds, right? Horns, uh, earbuds, music, honking, right? Everything, like, it's just busy, 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 which maybe is a part of where our stress actually comes from. And yet Jesus, this call here is really just, you know, this, this call to sit in and observe creation. And so here's what I want us to do just for a moment. Again, we, and we've done this a couple times, but I want you to imagine yourself on this mountain. Like this is modern day Israel, and you can already tell that it's pretty rural. There's not a lot going on there, right? Jesus is removed with his disciples from the hubbub of Jerusalem, and he's over this tiny little town of Capernaum, which is this farming and fishing community. There's, there's not much going on, and so here they are surrounding on this, this mountain. Their level of distraction is not what we have. And Jesus says, hey, would you look at the birds? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks this really, really, maybe the most powerful question in this passage. Are you not of more value than they? This idea of value, uh, as I was reading this, I was studying this, this really stuck out to me, and so I started just really digging uh, into this. And so in order to understand what is valuable in Jesus' eyes, we have to go back to the order of creation. So so if we rewind all the way back to Genesis 1, right, we know that that God separates light from darkness, the sun from moon, and then he creates all the the plants and all those things, and then he, he creates the things that walk, and then the things that fly, and the things that swim, right? He does all of these things, he, he does all of these things which are all good, and then at the very, the very sum, the culmination, the end, is that he creates mankind. He creates, he creates man in, in the image of God, and that's what gives him a greater value. And in fact, this word value uh, in this text actually comes from, from the Greek word what actually talks about the idea of carrying past. And so, like, so it's as if, here I am over here, okay? If I'm just over here, and I'm like in the fetal position, which, which has happened a couple times in my life from emotional pain when, when we found out we couldn't get, we were having a hard time getting pregnant, and then when I had my kidney stones. So two, two different fetal positions. It's as if God comes to me, and he, he grabs me, and he scoops me up in his arms. And then he walks past all of these other elements of creation to carry past. He carries me past the flowers, past, past the birds, past the deer, past the bear, past the giant whale, all the way over here, and so far removed, and he sets me down and says, this is why you have value. Because you are removed from these things. I would carry you past all of those things because you have 
value. All those things are good, but you were made in my image. By the way, we have so much value in God's eyes in, in the midst of whatever we're going through that we have to remember that Jesus, sometimes we think about Jesus just as a man or, or God, like, like God in human flesh kind of a thing, but the reality is, is that for eternity, Jesus has existed. So before he ever even put on flesh, he existed, and he had to give up that throne to put on stinky, human, pimply flesh to come and save us. That's how much value we have. And I think that sometimes we forget how much value we have in God's eyes because we are so concerned with the things in life right now that we value. And we, and we separate that, and we, have, and we have a hard time, and that just builds this anxiety in my life. And yet then Jesus asked this next question in verse 27. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Now, an hour here, the actual word here is actually for a, a distance. It's for covering a distance, which is typically around like 17 inches. Okay, so I brought my, my tape measure, right? So 17 inches, right? Uh, literally. But, but metaphorically, it's talking about a span of time in life. And so I think what's interesting, right, is that for us, is that when we worry about these things in life, whatever it is, we feel somehow internally like that we are adding distance to our lives. Like we worry about this. When I worry about that, well, I can extend my life a little bit more, and I worry about that, I can add a little bit more. And I think that I'm doing this, and the reality is, is that I just can't do it. Check out these verses. These next verses. One from Job. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Right? Like, the, like we cannot do this. Like, we, by worrying, we can't add 17 inches to our life. We can't add 34 inches, whatever the 17 times 2 is. Right? And we can't keep going and keep going and we can't keep going because that's something that is fixed. It's already fixed. One other verse. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every single one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none. Right? This is my life. This is our life. They are set in stone. And worrying does not help. And so we come back to this, and we go, okay, so Jesus says, if you worry... Look at the birds. See the way that God cares for them. How much more does he care for you? And then he shifts, goes into verse 28, asks another question about clothing here. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow they neither toil nor spin. Okay, so here the word is consider, right? Consider the lilies. So he goes from the birds and he, he adjusts their gaze down lower to, to an even lower form of creation, right? It's living and breathing, but it doesn't have like the brain. It's just a little tiny little flower. Now, when we think about this, when we worry about clothing, maybe that just doesn't resonate with us because we have closets full of clothes, we do. 
We have, we have more clothes than we probably need, than we, than we do need. And so what I would say here is like, what if we were to change this and to think about it less about the article of clothing and more about the fashion? Like, don't worry about what you look like. Don't worry about all the different clothings that you can buy and put on to cover yourself. Consider the lilies. And then he goes on to talk about Solomon, uh, and he's, he talks about Solomon in this way uh, with, with all of his wealth and with all of his glory. If you were to, we're not going to go there, but if you were to look back at 1 Kings chapter 10, you would find that it, it describes all of the wealth that Solomon had. In fact, at the end of that passage, it says that during Solomon's days, he made silver as common as stone in Jerusalem. Right, that's a lot of silver. Right, so much silver. That'd be like us saying, like, like uh, silver would be as common as drywall. Like, think about how much silver we'd have in this world, right? Of all the drywall in all the Fargo-Moorhead area, right? Like, that's a ton of silver. And so Solomon had the finest, most wealthiest of clothes that he could go into his wardrobe, go into his closet, and he could get the nicest purple, the nicest yellow, the nicest greens, the nicest reds, whatever he could desire, and he could put it on. But here's what I think is unique about this passage, is that Jesus knows all about Solomon. He knows everything there was to know about Solomon and Solomon's life. You see, clothing we, maybe we just need to ask the question, what is the purpose of clothing? Okay, maybe that's a weird question. Maybe we shouldn't ask that. Um, but if you go all the way back to Genesis, again, to the fall, in Genesis chapter 3, right, we have this moment where there's, there's Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're debating whether or not they should eat of the fruit of this tree, and they do so, and in this moment, their eyes are opened. They have this little hissy-tissy battle, right? And then they go, and they run, and they hide themselves, and they cover themselves, they get leaves from the garden and they cover themselves. And so clothing from the very beginning has always been about covering our nakedness, our insecurities, our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our sinful nature. That's what clothing does, is it covers that. And Solomon had the finest, most beautiful clothes, and Jesus knew that. And it doesn't matter what you put on, it doesn't matter what you project into the world, it does not cover our nakedness before the Lord, right? So clothing and styles and makeup, by the way, when we cover up our sin, that causes more stress. We do. We do that, and it causes more stress. But it's not just about clothing uh, in this life. Um, there are other forms of clothing. I might argue that Instagram is a form of clothing. I was reading a book a while ago, and uh, one of the things that I learned was that uh, there will be uh, people of certain ages that, that will post things uh, on Instagram, and when they post these things, it's as if they're posting their very best version of themselves. This is, this is the very best me, and I hit the button, and I throw it into the social media universe. But then what happens is that right after that, we start scrolling. We feel good about ourselves for a moment, but then we scroll, and we compare our best version of ourselves with everybody else's best version of themselves. And guess what it does? It produces anxiety and stress over and over and over. In fact, research has shown this to be true with younger people, is that 
This is a huge statistic, but murder rates are down in younger people, which is a great thing to celebrate and rejoice, but suicide and depression rates are higher than they've ever been. And that plays a part in it, right? And it's a form of our clothing that we put on to cover our nakedness, which is a futile effort. And what Jesus says about Solomon in this moment is that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, was arrayed like a single flower, And I think that Jesus even knew, like Jesus was hinting at this, because if you go back to 1 Kings 10 and you read all about Solomon's wealth, you go, man, he was a lucky dude. But the very next passage, it says, here's where Solomon turned from the Lord. Jesus knew that. I think he's being really intentional about talking about Solomon in front of his disciples in this way. You see, Solomon started well trusting the Lord, but eventually it shifted and he turned his attention to the things that rust. Went from trust to rust. In fact, in these next verses, uh, you know, Jesus um, shows us, I think, that in the same way that God gave Solomon everything that he needed because he chose rightly in the beginning, but he gave him this, this one line that said, if you walk in my ways, then you will lengthen your days. And in in, in R, in verse 33, I'm going to jump to verse 33 for sake of time here. Um, This is what it says, right? Jesus, at the end of all of this, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it's, again, it's this connection with Solomon, right? And all the things that God gave Solomon, but for us, we are called to seek his righteousness, Which, by the way, here's the connection, and this is the difference between Solomon and us, is that Jesus already walked that path for us. Jesus already took all of the steps necessary. And so when he says, seek my righteousness, when he says, seek the Lord's righteousness, he points his disciples to the cross. And he says, if there's anything that you can trust in this life, this is where it starts. Trust the cross. If there's anything that you're anxious about, if there's anything that you're worried about, if there's anything that that, that is just going on in your life, the first place to go is to trust the cross. And when you think about Jesus on that cross in that moment, he said these three powerful words. He says, it is finished. It wasn't finished for a moment. It was finished for eternity. I just want to remind us of that and how powerful that is. Jesus is the solution to our deepest, most darkest, most fundamental, unsolvable problem. But he's also the model for us to follow. And he says, but I also want you to seek my kingdom first. Seek my kingdom. Above all else, seek my kingdom. And when you do that, everything else will be given to you. And he says, by the way, the Gentiles, they're seeking for these other things. They don't know any better. People who don't know Jesus, they're just filling their life. They're just filling it, filling it, filling it, filling it. They don't know any better, but you, you do. Seek my kingdom first. Seek my righteousness and seek my kingdom And it's in this where I go, okay, I will never be satisfied with an American Christianity, but I will be satisfied by Christ alone, right? It's not the culture that dictates who Christ is, but who Christ is in and of himself. I'm going to end with this. So when I was younger, um, all I wanted in life was a Jeep. Not all I wanted, that's, that's an overstatement, sorry. 
One of the things I wanted in mo- most in life was a Jeep, right? Because you go through this phase where you just want really cool cars and cool things, and, and so I wanted a four-wheel drive. And, and a couple years ago, I was able to get a Jeep. And in uh, and, and Ken talking about this, uh, this last week, this rusting idea, um, one of the things that I noticed when we moved up or prior to moving up here uh, was that these runners on my Jeep were rusting out hard. Like, I mean, like it was just a, an awful eyesore. There were holes all through them. Uh, it was mostly brown, not even black. Black. And so what did I do? So I, I take them off uh, and I, I gr- like, um, like uh, grinded them all down. I got rid of all of the rust. There were lots of holes, so I filled the inside with foam to make sure that the holes uh, were not visible. And then I used this bonding spray paint to make sure that, that all the rust would be bonded with the metal. And then I painted them nice. By the way, this is not those. If you think that I did a really good job, these are not it. Uh, these are from Andy Veef, who just uh, is the senior pastor of Bethel. Awesome dude. And he just gave them to me. Said, you can have them. Um, so... But here's the deal, since I don't have the other ones, I'm bringing this to you, that if you believe, if you choose not to seek Jesus' kingdom first and his righteousness, this is your life. It may not be rusty now, but give it time, and it will be rusty, and there will be holes over and over and over. There's nothing that we can do about it. And so at the end of the day, we have this choice to either rust or to trust in the things that rust or to trust. I want to put up these questions. And we'll leave them up for a little bit as we wrap up. It just says, what am I worried about right now? There's a whole host of things that we could throw into that. What am I worried about right now? Is there anything that I'm trying to cover up? You know, as clothing or any form of type of clothing, is there anything in that, that that I'm using to cover up? The third one, am I seeking God's kingdom ahead of my own? And that last question, just where does Jesus fit in the midst of that? I want to leave that up as we just wrap, wrap up. Guys, life is filled with anxiety and stress and worry. And at the core of that is the fear of the unknown, the fear of what the future holds. And yet God knows every single one of our fears. He knows every single one of our worries. He knows every single one of my needs. And I would rather worship a God who knows what I need than gives me what I want. Let's pray as we close this morning and as the worship team comes up. Father, Father, we come to you this morning. Oh, there's lots going on uh, in, this, in this world, right? We think uh, globally with COVID. We think nationally with the election. We think locally with election. We think um, Salem um, in the midst of that. And then we have all of our own personal lives and all of the, 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 the cumulative things that are happening in life right now that can cause us stress. And God, Lord, I just pray that we would lay those, lay those things at the cross. You know every single one of our fears. You know every single one of our worries The future is in your hands. And Lord, you care for us so deeply. We have so much value. Would we allow you to enter into our lives and just pick us up and carry us past all of those other things and remind us how important we are to you. As we look at the cross, we remember that it is finished. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.